good evening, everybody. It's nice to see you all out on such a slippery night. I know it was pretty slippy out where I live. It was pretty slow getting here. Um, so we're going to consider tonight the events of the past year leading up until now and with a little bit of a focus on what's currently happening in Gaza uh, today and also happening in Russia uh, today and Europe. The idea that's expressed on this Economist magazine cover from this October, The World on Edge, is probably how many of us will reflect upon this last year when we think back about the events that took place in the year that we've just been through. And the financial crisis made us all feel a little on edge, and it made us all feel insecure uh, about our lives, and, it, and we had uncertainty about the future. And it, this crisis forcefully reminded us of the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 6. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. And we could add, and where stock markets crash. And a lot of people lost a lot of money over the, the last year. I didn't lose any. <laughs> 2008 began with President Bush visiting Israel to push the two-state solution. That was at the beginning of last year. And, uh, and at the beginning of March of, of the last year, 2008, there was the brutal terrorist attack at the yeshiva in Jerusalem, the Merkaz Harav Yeshiva. Some of you may remember that, where a lot of young men were brutally murdered in that terrorist attack. In April of last year, the Pope visited the United States. And it was on that trip that brought to our minds and showed us the immense power of that religious system. No other religious leader in the world can fill uh, stadiums and can visit heads of state in the way that the, the Pope can. The Associated Press, on that occasion, they said, his 90-minute visit to the White House, only the second ever by a Pope, was accompanied by the kind of pomp and pageantry rarely seen even on grounds accustomed to welcoming royalty and the world's most important leaders. Just think about that. No other religious system would get that kind of a reception or would even be invited to the White House. If the head of the Greek Orthodox Church or the Muslim Church or the Anglican Church were to visit Washington, the, whoever was in the White House wouldn't even bother uh, you know, seeing them, probably wouldn't even bother having lunch with them, never mind to give them this kind of a reception as the Pope got on that visit. Now, that's the exact opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Just think about that, and just think in your mind about these... these uh, churches and the amount of money um, that that system has. And it really is shameful when we think about the, the poverty in this world. And then that the same, that same person can then, you know, call and say, well, we've got to help the poor people in the world. And meanwhile, he's living in luxury. In August, Russia invaded Georgia. And that was a phenomenal event for students of Bible prophecy, something that really changed the face of Europe. It shook the world and it revealed the new power of Russia. The complete turnaround 
that has taken place in the last 10 years. And it, it was really an amazing summer as we watched those events unfold. And, of course, Russia's at it again this week and today as they turn off the gas supply to the Ukraine. And the whole of Europe right now is feeling pretty cold um, because their, their natural gas supply has been cut off by Russia. And when the crisis happened with Georgia, we said, who will be next? And now Ukraine possibly could be next. Definitely Russia has its eye on, on the Ukraine. But the real question is, who will dominate the new Europe that is emerging? Who will dominate the new Europe? And it could well be that, the, uh, that Russia is, of course, moving into that position. That's what we would expect from Bible prophecy. It was last year that Ehud Olmert, the Prime Minister of Israel, was surrounded by corruption charges, and he eventually resigned as a result. Olmert set out with a goal at the beginning of his presidency of being president to dismantle all the Jewish settlements in the West Bank in Judea and Samaria in Israel. And that was his goal. He had the convergence plan, it was called, and he never managed to carry that out. Really incredible that he, he didn't manage to do that. With the world behind him and pushing him to do it, and yet he was unable to do that. And actually, during Olmert's tenure as prime minister, the, popu the Jewish population of Judea and Samaria of the West Bank grew from 250,000 to 300,000. The exact opposite of what you would have thought and what you would have expected. It seems like there may be, there is, we know there is, an unseen hand working and controlling events in this world. And it's those settlements, those West Bank settlements, that are at the heart of the Mideast problem. They are the global focus of most statesmen and diplomats from the powerful countries of the world. They are focused on that, on, that, on those settlements and on that problem. And we ask the question, why are the stakes so high as to command the attention of the whole world, which it does, of this one little mountainous, landlocked piece of land in the Middle East. Tiny little piece of land. Not very much real estate. Why are the stakes so high in that question? And uh, it's, a, it's a controversy that we, that we see emerging. A worldwide controversy. That everybody is focused on that. The prime ministers, the diplomats, prime minister uh, who, who has, was Blair, when he was finished being uh, the prime minister of, of the UK, he stepped down and he is now the Middle East envoy for the European Union. They have a special envoy who deals with that problem. And, and uh, as Obama is coming into the presidency of the United States, Europe is pushing him and people are pushing him to solve the Mideast problem, and Europe is pushing for the two-state solution to, to the Middle East problem. This is a map of Israel showing that little piece of land, Samaria at the, at the top half and Judea at the bottom half, Judea and Samaria. It's really the biblical heartland of ancient Israel. It's where you find cities like Hebron, uh, Jerusalem, of course, is, is there. Um, and then in the north, you have uh, a little more to the north, you have Bethel and then Shechem. 
and where Abraham went up and down through this piece of land runs the king's highway. Uh, that is where Abraham traveled as he went, came up from the top and went down the land. He traveled down the king's highway through the mountains and Isaac did the same thing and Jacob. And it's all those cities up and down there that, uh, that were the biblical cities. It was where Joshua came over from Moab on, on this side and he came across over the Jordan River and into the land of Israel. And if you look at very early maps of the early settlement, the Jewish settlement in those days would look approximately like Samaria and Judea do in that picture. Because it was the mountainous part of the land. It was the part of the land that was easier to hold on to. It was easier to defend against chariots. They couldn't um, operate so easily in those areas. Now, you look at that um, picture and you think about what's happening today in Gaza. They have a problem with the Palestinians shooting these rockets over at the communities. And you say, well, what if there was a, uh, a Palestinian state in Samaria and in Judea, in those mountains, in what they call the West Bank? What if there was a Palestinian state there? And you can just see how exposed Israel would be to those rocket attacks in that case. The coast along there, you see all the names, those are all the big cities. And you see the major cities, Haifa and Tel Aviv and Netanya. See how close those cities are and in the shadow of those mountains. Haifa is only 21 miles from Samaria. Netanya is only nine miles. Israel would only be nine miles wide so you can imagine somebody sitting in the mountains above Netanya and Hadera and Caesarea would just be able to cause havoc, absolutely havoc, on those civilian population centers. Tel Aviv, 11 miles. And the Ben-Gurion Airport, only two miles from the West Bank Territory. Can you imagine if there was a Palestinian state in that territory? How would you ever have security? And yet, that is what the world is pushing for, the two-state solution. So you'd have a Palestinian state in Gaza and in the West Bank. And the return of refugees that left Israel during the wars, the War of Independence in 1948, and, and so on in 67. The return of those refugees to Israel. That would end the Jewish character of the state. It would end, really end, the state of Israel, if all those refugees, millions of refugees, were to return. One fact that people do not remember and do not say is that when those refugees, those Arab refugees, left um, as a result of things like the War of Independence, there were as many Jewish refugees from countries like Iraq and other Arab, all the other Arab countries, there was, were as many Jewish refugees from those countries that were, that were kicked out and fled to the land, to Israel, as there were Arabs that left. Nobody ever remembers that. Why do we have a problem then today? Because the Arab refugees that left were kept in refugee camps. They were never absorbed into society. Every Jewish refugee from Arab countries at the same time was absorbed into the state of Israel and now has a full part in society. So the question then that is raised, and this was raised earlier in the year by McLean's, it was Israel's 60th anniversary. 
why Israel can't survive? This is a huge question and that the world is focused on. And we're going to look at tonight why the world is focused on that question. What are the repercussions of that? What does it mean? What does it mean to us? At the beginning of the year, we had this cover from The Economist. Bush, Mr. Palestine, the man that can make it happen. The man that can make the two-state solution happen. They pushed him to do it. He was unable to do it. We have no two-state solution yet in the Middle East. Israel Apartheid Week. That is from the University of Toronto, just down the road from here. You can see how this issue is coming closer to home to us. Is Israel an apartheid state? No, they're not. They have Israeli Arabs, many that live in Israel that have equal rights and can vote and have members of parliament in the state of Israel. Only those Arabs in the disputed territories that have not been annexed by Israel do not have citizenship. Yet this is the charge that is laid that Israel is an apartheid state. November 4th, 2009, Hamilton, Ontario. We have a dem demonstration that took place. End Israeli apartheid. And just notice that the girl there is carrying a picture of the Dome of the Rock, yet this was about this demonstration was supposed to be about Gaza. Can you see how the the the, the reasons behind this are much bigger than just borders and, and refugees and maybe some grievances? There are much more fundamental and greater reasons behind this conflict. Mumbai, that was last, the end of last year. The terrorist attacks in Mumbai, India. Who did those terrorists target in particular? The Jewish center in Mumbai. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. Jews in India, in Mumbai, a little tiny Jewish center. Hardly recognizable. Why would terrorists go there and murder a couple... And this is their little son, Moshe, that was left without his parents. Why did they do that? If it's about Arab grievances and refugees in the Middle East, why would we kill Jews in Mumbai, India? It doesn't make sense, does it? It's a much greater problem with more fundamental and larger reasons than most people realize. The reason for this is anti-Semitism, is at the root of this problem. And the Catholic Church put it this way. Catholic leader rejects Jewish state. You can have a state in the Middle East, and Jews can live there, but it can't be Jewish. Why, they say? Well, Israelis, Israel's identity as a Jewish state discriminates against non-Jews, the Holy Land's top Roman Catholic clergyman said. 
It discriminates against non-Jews. I just wonder how they feel about Vatican City, if that you know, discriminates against anybody of another religion if they wanted to live there. Um, I wonder how that would work. But the problem here is that it's a Jewish state. It could be another kind of state that Jews would live there, and that would be all right. It could be a secular state, but it can't be a Jewish state. If you don't think anti-Semitism is rising in Europe, look at the political cartoons. A Greek cartoon suggests the Jewish government kills Christians on Easter. An Italian cartoon has the baby Jesus saying the Israelis are going to kill him again. And then there are the cartoons that compare the Jews to the Nazis. It reminds Jews of another period, the time before the Holocaust. In Europe today, most Jews are at minimum anxious. Some are scared, and many have already left for Israel or the United States. Because even though many European governments have condemned the new rise in anti-Semitism, there is a clear perception among many Jews that Europe's terrible history is somehow coming back to life. The Jewish communities around the world are more under pressure today than at any time since 1945. Robert Wistrich of Hebrew University in Israel is the son of Polish Jews who fled the Holocaust. Here we are 60 years after that, and what lessons have been learned? Not enough. A survey last year of five European countries found that half of those questioned believe Jews are more loyal to Israel than the countries in which they live. That was what the Nazis believed. And almost half of Europeans surveyed also said Jews probably have too much control of international finance. Another Nazi view. Almost half also believe that Jews control U.S. foreign policy. The Nazis would have agreed. The editor of Der Sturmer, Julius Stryker, wrote in 1944, The Jews have made America what it is today, a nation forced into helping the Jews achieve world domination. Leading Holocaust expert Manfred Gerstenfeld says the constant demonization of Israel by the European media and the European left has helped create what he calls a new anti-Semitism against the collective Jew in the form of Israel and Zionism. All studies show anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism almost entirely overlap. Now, of course, it is very bad to say that you are against the Jews after the Holocaust. So you have found an escape clause to be against the Jews without saying that you are against the Jews, and you say, I am against Israel. So what he's saying is there's a new kind of anti-Semitism in the world. It's not new, it's the same old anti-Semitism. But the difference is, instead, instead of saying that you hate the Jews and, and you demonize them, instead, Israel is the target. You just substitute Israel for the Jews. Now, this controversy that we see in the world, and it's a worldwide controversy that is everywhere from Mumbai to Hamilton, Ontario. This controversy is something that Bible students have expected for years and years. This was written in 1868 by John Thomas. And he wrote in 1868, Judah has been broken. The Jews had been dispersed throughout the world. But their breakers have not been ground to powder by the stone. And now he's referring to that um, dream of Nebuchadnezzar when he saw the image of the kingdom of men and how that the kingdom of God, the little stone, 
Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God would smash that image. He said the kingdom of men has not yet been ground to powder by the stone. The time, however, fast approaches and the nearer it arrives, the more important do all questions become bearing upon Judah's land and Zion, the city of their king. Can we see that as every year goes by, the controversy, the questions about Judah's land and about Zion or Jerusalem become greater and the world is more focused on it and it is causing more people, more diplomats, more statesmen, prime ministers to focus on that problem and the media always headline after headline after headline day after day focused on this one little country in the Middle East. It's exactly what we would expect. The nearer it arrives, the more important do all questions become. Just think about that and think about the last year and what has taken place in the Middle East. And of course, he wasn't writing those words just because he thought of these things. It was from the Bible. And in Isaiah chapter 34, verses 1 and 8, God says, Come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, and the year of recompenses, for the controversy of Zion. So the closer we get to the return of Christ, of Jesus Christ to this earth, as the Bible says he would come back to the earth, in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, the closer we get to that date, the greater this controversy about Zion is going to become. And that's exactly what we see happening over the last year and right up till today. Joel chapter 3, this is the chapter that we read to open with. Joel chapter 3, verse 1, For behold, in those days and in that time. So the prophet is telling us when this prophecy would apply to. So we can read verse 1 and we can see, well, does this apply to our days? Or did it apply to a different time in history? For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. That's the West Bank, the southern West Bank and Jerusalem. God says in the days when I bring again that captivity, when Jews come back to Jerusalem and to Judah. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead or judge them for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And then from verse 3 to about verse 8, he then goes on and goes through some history about what the nations have done before he comes back again in verse 9 and continues to talk about this war that is going to take place. And that war will involve bringing all the nations to Israel to sort out this problem. And God will judge them for what they have done to his people Israel. There is absolutely no doubt that this prophecy talks about our time. 
Before 1967, Israel did not have Judah and they did not have Jerusalem. Before 1967, people wrote that Israel would take that territory based on what they read in the Bible. They said Israel has to take that territory. In 1967, they took that territory. And since then, it has become a controversy that is drawing the nations and will draw the nations to battle against Judah and Jerusalem. This verse has already partly been fulfilled. And we know it's talking about our time. It cannot refer to any other time. Our time is the only time when God has turned the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. And it's at that time that he will bring all the nations down to judge them for what they have done. This is from December 12th of last year. The National Council of Churches denounces Christian Zionism. This is from the Associated Press. The National Council of Churches has released a pamphlet denouncing Christian Zionism. Why? Because they treat modern Israel as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Think about that. That is the issue. That is the controversy. Think about the implications of that statement, however way you may believe about that statement. If you believe that Israel is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, it means that God brought the Jews back to the land of Israel because he has a further purpose with them to make them into a glorious nation that will be a light to the Gentiles. The one thing follows on from the other. If you believe that Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, it means that God brought the Jews back to the land. Now, is it then right and just to throw the Jews out of the land of Israel? If you believe that God brought them back as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, it can't be true, can it? If you believe that statement, it cannot be true. On the other hand, if you believe that modern Israel has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible, then it's perfectly acceptable to throw the Jews out of that area and call them occupiers and call it apartheid and call it unjust and, and, and speak for the Palestinian rights. That is the issue. Is modern Israel a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Well, we can quote, we can produce quote after quote of people that believed it was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy before it took place. In 1850, John Thomas wrote that there would be a partial and primary restoration of Jews to the land of Israel before the manifestation or coming of Christ that would serve as a basis for future operations for the restoration of the rest of the Jews after Jesus appeared in his kingdom. 
So before it even happened, a hundred years before it happened, John Thomas believed that it was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. This man, and I have this book at home, it's 200 years old, this book. And if you just look at the middle of the right-hand page where you see the word nothing, nothing need to be more plainly declared than this, that the Jews shall certainly return and possess their own land again, notwithstanding their long captivity and utter dispersion. This man, 200 years ago, believed that the Jews would return to the land of Israel as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and both of them, that the Jews would return in unbelief, as we have seen happen. How can we then, after seeing it happen, turn around and say it has nothing to do with the Bible and that it's nothing to do with Bible prophecy? It's the implications of saying one or the other that make people say one or the other. So this isn't about politics. It's about the fact that it was God's hand that brought the Jews back to the land as he promised them and the land which he promised them and that God did not act unjustly in doing so. And this issue is right at the heart of those people that live in the West Bank, what are known as the Jewish settlers. Okay, I'm just going to show you a short video clip here in one second. And uh, it's of some people dancing. And they're singing these words from the prophecy of Jeremiah. Why are they singing that? Because they believe that they are living where they live as a result of Bible prophecy. And that is why they want to establish more settlements, which the world then reacts to. Like somebody puts up, moves another caravan, and the diplomats from Europe are flying to Tel Aviv to sort this out and to put pressure on the Israeli government to get rid of the new caravan. That's the kind of ridiculous length that we are going to as a society over this issue. But it's because it is at the fundamental basis of so many people's faith. Children will return to their borders, a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. That's what those people believe, and they join in that and celebrate their belief in, in the fulfillment of prophecy in that song. In, on May 14, 1948, the Vatican newspaper, official Vatican newspaper, took a little bit of a different view of the events that happened in 1948. They said, Modern Zionism is not the true heir of biblical Israel but a secular state. Therefore, the Holy Land and its sacred sites belong to Christianity, the true Israel. 
You see, at the very basis of this problem, is it is a theological problem. And it challenges people's beliefs. Because, this is the Catholic Church, they believe that they are the true Israel. They are the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, the Jews return back to their land again. As a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, how does that fit in with us being the kingdom of God? And then, well, they don't have Jerusalem. They don't have the biblical parts of the land of Israel. They're a secular state. That's not anything to do with the Bible. All of a sudden, June 1967, the Jews take Jerusalem and they take the biblical heartland and then you have emerged Christian Zionism, or not Christian Zionism, religious Zionism in Israel. And you have people singing, we will return to our borders as a fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah is going to come. Oh boy, that's a real challenge to the Catholic Church's doctrine. Why do you think they back the Palestinians in this conflict? Why do you think Yasser Arafat visited the Pope more than any other person in the world? Why do you think they only established diplomatic relations with Israel after Israel agreed to the peace process that has <coughs> caused so much damage to them ever since that time? Here's the opposite view. This is the religious Zionist Jewish view of uh, 1948. When the flag of the state of Israel was raised, all of the Vatican's doctrines of the outcast, miserable Jews collapsed. We returned to our land and it became clear that the eternal one of Israel will not lie. Ooh, that doesn't go over very well if you have one of those red cardinal suits on. You're not happy at this point. This is not looking good. It's a problem. And it is a problem... For the, for the Catholic Church and their, for their doctrine, and it's a problem for the Muslims and for their doctrine. That is the roots of this problem, and that is why the whole world is focusing on a Jew buying one caravan in Bethel or in Hebron. That's why they are going crazy about this problem. This man is a, a Jew, Arthur Hertzberg. He wrote a book, The Fate of Zionism. He's not... He's a religious Jew, but he's a very liberal religious Jew and secular. He believes the land of Israel should be secular. So what does he say? He said it is even more important within the Jewish community that modern Zionism not be identified as the heir and continuation of the messianic element in classic Jewish religion. If the Zionist endeavor is ever dominated by the notion that Jews have come back to Palestine as a giant step toward the coming of the Messiah, there can be no peace within the Jewish camp. Because there are Jews that don't want that. There are Jews that want a secular state. And they don't want this problem in their midst. And they want to get rid of it. And they don't like the fact that the world doesn't like them. And Europe won't be their friend. And the Vatican, the Pope won't come and visit. And everybody's causing them problems. They don't, they don't want that. So he says there can be no peace in the Jewish camp. If we believe that this is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy leading to the Messiah. Again, that's the issue. 
peace house in Hebron, the end of uh, last year. Many will, will have heard about that. It was on the news all over the place. One building in Hebron, a Jew bought it. There was a big controversy. They said they couldn't have it. They sent thousands of policemen in black suits and threw the militants out. And I'll show you a few pictures of them in a minute, just so you can get the inside story of what took place. But notice the banner that's hanging on the building. God gave Israel to the Jews. That's the problem. We are here as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy is what that banner says. And the world says we can't accept that because if you are, it means the Bible's true. It means you're the nation that God is working with. It means if you're a Christian, um, it means that Jesus may come back to the earth. He may be the king of the Jews. No, we can't accept that. And so they want to get rid of it. We didn't see any pictures like this in the media, did we? Of those militants inside Peace House. These are some of the people that lived there. Genuine picture. And uh, just notice this is afterwards. We didn't see any pictures like that in the media either, did we? This is the way these people are treated. This is religious persecution that is happening in the land of Israel today. Religious persecution. How could you ever treat a young woman like that, a young religious woman, in that way that those people are treating her? As a matter of fact, many of these policemen in the black suits aren't actually Jewish. They use non-Jews to do the dirty work for them, sort of like Doeg the Edomite, um, to do this because other people... Um, don't want to do it. And the Bible says that there will be a crusade against the land of Israel. The invasion that is talked about in many of the prophecies in the Bible is not just a, uh, just a battle um, to gain territory. It's a crusade. Micah 4 verse 11. Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say... Let her be defiled. Let our eye look upon Zion. What does that mean, let her be defiled? It means that we have something that's special, something that God has made holy, and we want to defile it. We want to make it common. We want to make Israel like all the other nations. We don't want it to be a special nation. We don't want it to be something that God would choose. We can't accept that. Let's defile it. Let's take the biblical part out of it. And that's exactly what the nation's are trying to do today. Again, Arthur Hertzberg says this, Modern Zionism, when it appeared, was a peculiar case. It offered to change the Jews into a contemporary, secular nation. A contemporary, secular nation. They can't accept that it would be a religious society. And then we can't even use the argument that it's a secular state and therefore it has nothing to do with the Bible. What is happening is it is becoming a religious state. Over 50% of kids in kindergarten in Israel last year were religious. Over 50%. We cannot say that it is a non-religious society anymore. That's completely not true. Times have changed. Again, Joel chapter 3 verse 9. The chapter we read, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles... Prepare war, wake up the mighty men, 
Let all the men of war draw, draw near. Let them come up. That's what the nations will say when they come up to Jerusalem. Prepare war. That word there, prepare, is the word for holy. It's the imperative of the verb holy. So it's a holy war. When it says prepare war, it actually means sanctify war. It's a crusade against the religious development that is happening in the land of Israel. And it is, um, we don't have time to look at it in detail tonight, but it is the philosophies that have gone out into the world that will gather the nations in this crusade. In Revelation chapter 16, I said we don't have time to look at this, but in that prophecy, and it's in symbolic language, and it's, and it's, and it's fairly detailed, but we can just notice a very simple point from this. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And, and it can easily be shown that the dragon and the beast are Roman just by comparing this with Daniel chapter 7. We don't have time to do it tonight, but they are Roman. Okay, So it's European and it's Russia and Europe that it's talking about. And with them is a false prophet that also is Roman. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So it's saying the exact same thing as Joel chapter 3. Sanctify war. And this war is, is motivated by the teachings that are coming out of these spheres in, in Europe. And, and they are unclean spirits. And then Jesus goes on to say, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue. So it's to do with Hebrew things, Israelitish things, Armageddon. What does he mean then that it's unclean spirits that gather them? Well, 1 John 4 verse 1 defines that. As believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. And what he's saying is try the teachings that you see around you. Try them against the word of God to see if they're true or not. So a spirit is a teaching. And an unclean spirit is an unclean teaching. That will gather the nations against Israel. And they are frog-like. And when we go back to Exodus 8, what happened when there was the plague of frogs? Well, they gathered them together into heaps and the land stank. It became corrupt. And that's just like our society today. And the philosophies that have produced our society are unclean spirits. They're unclean teachings and they're causing our society to stink and they're turning the nations against the Jewish development in the land of Israel that will gather the nations to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. How do you think then those unclean teachings go out into the world? How do people hear about them? How do people receive them? How do people get to know about these unclean teachings? It's the media, obviously. So do we believe everything that we hear on the news, on the media? Should we? The Bible is telling us that there's going to be unclean teachings that are going to go out and gather the nations against God's people. 
they, the way that things are broadcast today is through the media. We want to spend a couple of minutes we have remaining just briefly looking at the media and, and maybe then you'll be able to see how the media is not portraying what's even happening now in the Middle East correctly. Years ago when there was a terrorist attack, people called them terrorists. All of a sudden, a few years ago, we started seeing this word appear, militants. If it happens in Israel, it's always a militant. If it happens in Mumbai, it might be a terrorist. I did see it in Mumbai. Or in Europe, bomb suspect linked to accused terrorists. The dirty word appears. September the 11th, they were terrorists. If it's in Israel, they're militants. Subtle difference, but it's universal, and it affects the perception. Because as soon as you hear the word terrorist, what do you think of? September the 11th. We can't use that word anymore. They're attacking Jews. We better use the word militant. That's a little softer. It sounds like a freedom fighter. Suddenly, all the media starts using the word militant instead. Unbelievable. And then what do they do? Remember those pictures of the settlers I showed you dancing and then the pictures of the kids in Peace House on their bed? Oh, all of a sudden, the policy proclaimed by young Jewish settler militants. Oh, they're just the same as Hamas. Obviously, they use the same word. Do you see how that produces a moral equivalency between the two? And it changes your perception of how you perceive things. This is a settlement I visited in, in the West Bank, and I just want to show you a picture of the settler militant that I met. Here it is. This place was established because the Arabs were, uh, snipers were killing people, civilians, as they drove along this road below us. You can see how it would be a dangerous place to drive um, if, if, if there were people on the hills on either side. Here's the nursery school. Another shot of the trailers. And here we are inside. This guy here is a settler with his little kid living in a trailer. He's actually a school teacher. His wife is also a professional. They live in this trailer. Why do they live there? Because they believe that the prophecies are being fulfilled and that they have returned as a result of Bible prophecy. That's why they live there in this trailer. Do they have a TV? No. Do they have the Internet? No. Why do they have a shelf full of books? Because they're students of the Bible, even though they don't understand it um, completely and properly. These are the people that the media portrays then in the same light as they portray Hamas, the terrorists. That's a nice house just down the road from his trailer. Um, would you believe who lives there? Palestinian house. Oh, you might say, I thought they were poor and repressed. Well, some of them are, but guess what? Some of them aren't. And that's just down the road from his house in the West Bank. Um, there's another one. There's another one. There's some more. You don't see those pictures on CNN, do you? How about that one? question then we ask is, are we getting the whole picture? When we look at the media, are we getting the whole picture? And I would suggest to you that you're not seeing 
the whole picture. There's a lot of performing going on. Cameras are set up and people perform for them. Here's another one. This was during the Lebanon War. Unfortunately, oh, one of the bodies is sitting up. Whoops. Hey, hey, hang on a second. We haven't finished the photo shoot. See the guy at the back left-hand corner? He thought it was over. He was going to go and get a coffee break. You know, <laughs> he didn't realize that the pictures weren't done yet. We cannot believe everything we see anymore. This one made the rounds. Somebody got a little carried away in Photoshop on that one with the cloning tool. Let's make a little bit more smoke. See how the same pattern repeats itself? I work in Photoshop. I, I can do things like that. This one's causing some controversy. I took something out of this picture, actually. Something that the guy supposedly found in the rubble, in the dirt. Well, there's some controversy as to whether it was ever in the picture. And there's some controversy about the fact that, well, does it look dirty to you? Does it look like somebody just pulled that out of a dirt pile? No. Guess what? A lot of the photographers carry around props with them. Make the pictures look a little better. Get their pictures into, uh, into the press and get paid a little bit more money for them. It always looks better if there's a cute pink bunny in the picture somewhere. So we just pack a bunny around with us and then use it. People have even found the same bunny in more than one picture. <laughs> I'm serious. What's happening right now in Israel in Steyrot, in, uh, in the uh, southern Israel by the Gaza Strip? Steyrot is a city that has been under bombardment by rockets since 2005. Heavy bombardment by rockets since 2005. The city of 20,000, it's a terrible place to live. You may not have heard about it very much because it's not really ever on the news. Because, well, we don't care about that because it's Jews that live in Steyrot. I just want to show you one of these, uh, one of these rockets hitting and, uh, and see what it's like because, well, I'll show you how the media describes these rockets in a few minutes. אחת הרקטות פגעה בתחנת דלק בעיר. מצלמת האבטחה של אחד המפעלים באזור קלטה את רגע הנפילה. since 2005 we don't hear about it very much in the media do we you don't see shots like that in the media then all of a sudden when Israel retaliates well it's front page news headlines CNN Fox News BBC documentaries the whole shebang everything right but this has been going on every single day since 2005 in that town in uh, in the Negev next to the Gaza Strip ever since Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip and gave some land for peace. 
This is the damage caused by one of those missiles. How does the media describe those rockets? Homemade. Cheap. Inaccurate. Thrown together, I saw the other day. Rudimentary. Ineffective, says the BBC. Okay, let's fire some of those at London and see how rudimentary and ineffective they are. And let's see what happens when we fire some at Washington, D.C. every day for four years. Let's see how rudimentary and ineffective it is then. Friends, what we are being shown in the media is not correct. And the reason it's not correct is because, as the Bible said, there would be false teachings that would come from the media that would gather the nations to Armageddon. And that's exactly what we've seen happening over the last year, over the last several years, as this controversy of Zion heats up and the questions become more important, as John Thomas said in 1868, that they would be about the land of Judah and about Jerusalem. The other way that the media portrays this is, when it's Israel, they use active language and they identify Israel. Israeli forces kill. Israeli airstrikes kill. Israeli incursions kill when it's the Arabs all of a sudden it's the rocket a rocket fired from Gaza kills a woman a rocket endangers the Palestinian Israeli respite oh it damages the peace process and endangers the peace process what about the people's lives what about the people that got killed rocket hits city in Israel it's the rocket I mean like who knows where it came from I mean, we know where it came from, but the language is different, and it's subtly portrayed to you to make you think a certain way. Somebody took care in writing those headlines and thought about what they were doing, and they wrote it differently depending on who it was. Why did they do that? It's because of the controversy of Zion. We're running out of time, but just a few brief words about Russia that we saw last year. Um, Russia has crushed one neighbor. Who's next? And again, today we're seeing this happening as they've turned off the gas again to Europe in the middle of the winter. And it was John Thomas again who said, wrote January 1st, 1850, that the future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times because they are predicted in the scriptures of truth. We have a sure word of prophecy and we can see it coming to pass the world over around us as we enter this new year. And he also said, when Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, let, then let the reader know that the end of all things, as at present constituted, is at hand. We are getting very, very close to that day. Russia resurgent, and Europe stands up to Russia, well, not very well, sort of like jello on the plate. Um, and that's what it was like, and that's what it's like today. 
also. And again, Europe faces an energy crisis as Vladimir Putin cuts the Russian gas supply again. And this one just from a few hours ago, Russia stops all gas supply to Europe via the Ukraine. Bible prophecy came alive last year and it's coming alive right at the beginning of January 2009 as things really keep moving toward the coming of Christ. And this from the, the preface of that book that we know today as Exposition of Daniel, in a way just sums up the year. That Russia would be triumphant, Europe would be in chains. Of course, the French and Ottoman empires are gone now, as the, the book said they would, according to Bible prophecy. And the formation of a Russian-Latino-Greek confederacy, the East and the West together. And then its occupation of Jerusalem and its holy shrines and subsequent destruction on the mountains of Israel. We can see things heating right up for that to take place. As we see the world turning against Israel, we see the media turning against Israel, and we see Russia gaining power and, and making moves to subdue Europe. Well, what about 2009? I'd like to finish with this verse from Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief, and blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Thank you very much for your attention.